I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustleshare PDAX. Also powered by Podmachine, the simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. Keep the faith. Um, definitely not easy to start your own business, but um, you know that's, that's part of it. It's part of the journey, and so it's important to have grit and just really persist even when the going gets tough. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustler Podcast. It's finally happened. I've been trying to get this girl on the show since the start of the year. But you know, good things always wait. And now the great thing is about to happen because we've had so many founders that they've helped, that they've, uh, you know, supported to become really successful now in the Philippines. And if you just look back, I'll just give you a few, right? You know, so, you know, Armada is one of them. And a few more. Just check it out there. And you'll know it's one common denominator that let them scale. Like Craver's Canteen. And a lot more that we've had on the show. But the one common denominator 
is they were supported and helped out by Kaya Founders. And to help us out, we need to get the girl responsible for making all of this happen. The managing director of Kaya Founders, Miss Raya Wansusasu. Raya, welcome to the show. All right. I Hi, hope Ron. you are not nervous anymore. <laughs> so again, again, this has been a, a a long time coming, and I'm glad we're finally doing it. Doing it. But before we get carried away, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Raya, what's your hustle? All right. Um, so hi, everyone. My name is Raya Buentesesso. Uh, gosh, there's so many ways I could answer this question. But I guess if I were to summarize uh, my life's hustle or mission in a sentence, uh, I would say that you know, everything I've done so far um, has really been a, an attempt to make the Philippines a more you know, prosperous, inclusive, and uh, vibrant place. Uh, currently, I'm trying to do that in the tech and venture capital industry. So as Ron mentioned, uh, my day job is as the managing director of Kaya Founders, which is an early stage investment firm uh, on a mission to really build and invest in uh, the next generation of digital companies that can improve the lives of millions in the Philippines and Southeast Asia. Um, outside of Kaya, I'm also the chapter lead of SoGal Foundation here in Manila. Uh, so SoGal <laughs> is essentially a U.S.-based nonprofit uh, committed to really championing uh, female and other underrepresented entrepreneurs and investors. So yeah, that's my hustle in a nutshell. And that's what we will be discussing and dissecting from the very start. Because now I need you to buckle up, my girl. Because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right. Thank you so much. Because now, okay, I hope you're not dizzy uh, and dizzy. Because <laughs> I, I want to then dissect, Raya. So you've been a busy girl uh, and you've been doing a lot in such a young career. I'm saying young because I'm, I'm, I'm an old fart. Okay. <laughs> but I want to understand um, for you to have that passion uh, for really helping underrepresented people, the women in the, uh, in the Philippines and really have that chip on your shoulder. I want to understand your origin story. What were the early influences or early exposures that you've had towards entrepreneurship or startups or anything that led you to this path per se? You know, it's funny because I really don't come from a business background. So neither my parents or even my relatives, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, very few of them come from the business world. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I think uh, I kind of had to find uh, or discover the entrepreneurship journey on my own. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I can share a bit about uh, my my childhood and my growing up story. So I was born and raised in uh, Santa Rosa, Laguna. So just what? south of Manila. New Bali. There you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, New Bali. Before no, there was New Bali. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. There was nothing there. There was just um, Palay. <laughs> um, so, and yeah, outlet stores. I go there for outlet stores. The most important thing. Exactly. <laughs> you know the real secret. Um, yep. Yeah, so I was born in, in the provincia. I, I went to school at Brent, which I guess for those of you who don't know, uh, it's one of uh, several international schools in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I come from very, like, humble, middle-class uh, beginnings. But mm -hmm. I, I guess my sisters and I were able to go there 
because my dad uh, was and is a teacher at Brent. So wow, um, yes, <laughs> we were able to go for I guess a fraction of the cost, and um, I, I think that's really one of the recurring themes of my life. You know, I've been kind of a scholar from a very early age, and mm. I really credit like education for opening uh, many doors for me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So uh, one thing yeah. that I really uh, want to understand, because there's I have not met a lot of people that uh, studied in the international school system in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I've been to rent a couple of times. I've been to the Pasig campus. I've been mm-hmm. to the Santa Rosa campus, not because of accolades and, 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 and academics, but because I was a varsity player for basketball before. And I remember Ooh, the court in Brent. <laughs> My God, yeah. that was one of the first rubberized courts and it was just a joy to play there it's just a uh, just take took forever if you came from manila <laughs> you could have yeah. to travel all the way to the laguna to play and you're the, just the, the journey no alone is that <laughs> yes and no skyway yet good luck there you go yeah. so one of the things that i really want to understand there is that being exposed to an international uh school early on what was that like what what was the curriculum like because i know it's very different than the traditional you know uh catholic upbringing or the traditional whole day upbringing because i've i've had a little bit of it uh growing up mm-hmm. my my grade school years was in a non-traditional progressive school and then high school i went to usd holy shit it was so different i had a culture shock what was that like in Brent? Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak for all international schools, but at least at Brent, I would say we had a very initially like U.S.-based system. My last two years in high school, it was I took a uh, program called the IB, which is a British uh, curriculum. But I guess it was definitely more Western. So, I mean, the subjects are probably the same, right? You had your math, your science, your social science, your English. Um, but we definitely didn't have um, subjects like CLE <laughs> yes. or um, yeah, more yeah, like the, the Filipino subjects you probably didn't have. But uh, I think Brent uh, is actually a Christian school, so somehow I think the values formation was still there. We had to take like religious studies, um, had to go to like chapel or kind of like a church service <laughs> once a week. So somehow I don't I don't think it was actually that much different. Um, Maybe one big difference is the teachers, right, and my classmates. So most of them were expats, so mm. uh, really from all over the world, but a lot of my teachers were American. Uh, and then in terms of my classmates, a lot of them were kids of expats or, um, I guess, prominent families here. Uh, so a lot of the parents, actually, you know, I had no idea what my uh, classmates' parents did growing up. It's only yeah. now I'm realizing that, like, but yeah, like connecting the dots, but a lot of them you know, were embassy kids or wow. their, their parents worked for the ADP. Um, and Amazing. honestly, I, I kind of like not like having an awareness of yeah. like, different. Ignorance is bliss at that point. <laughs> yeah, we were just kids who wanted to right. make friends and yeah. Um, yeah, had a great time for sure. That's amazing. All right. Now, after Brent, so you've been there. What, did you do early hustles there or were just really just academics, academics, academics? Just one thing that you really um, have to grow. Again, this is a consistent uh, narrative in your, your career. Again, you said you were a scholar. You've been given access to, to great education, right? Um, mm-hmm. what, what was the mindset like? Was there anything that you're, especially that your, your dad is a, is a teacher, 
that has an indelible mark on you for sure, especially on the mindset and how academics will be your ticket for social mobility, or I don't know what the, the goal would be. Yeah, funnily enough, uh, not at all. So mm. I think another feature of, uh, I guess, my growing up years is that I had very supportive parents, um, you know, and they always encouraged us to just do what we were passionate about. Um, and they were never overbearing, never forced us to kind of follow um, a certain career path. So unlike the other you know, Asians or Filipino families, like yes. never forced us to become like a doctor, or a lawyer, or engineer. So I think that was actually very healthy for me because I just did what I, I loved. And at the time, I mean, you know, fortunately I was somehow um, like good at school, but my passion was actually like sports and a lot of extracurriculars. Wow. And I would say like my life really revolved around um yeah, playing actually basketball, volleyball, all the sports. And then, awesome. um, yeah, just, like, I guess school wasn't an afterthought, but it was more of you know, something I had to do. But uh, there was never really pressure to excel. And I, I think it was mostly an intrinsic drive to, um, you know, do the best that I could. But it, it mm. definitely didn't come from my parents. All right, I'll just uh, deep dive on this a little bit because, again, I have so much bias towards um, <laughs> sports as a formative, you know, tool for you to become a leader and to be and to develop grit in you. I just want to understand mm-hmm. your experience on and what sports you played and the type of hustle per se that you had to do in sports because, man, a lot of the things that I still do to this day, like how I run my team, how I operate as a team, how mm-hmm. I have this propensity for, in a way, being sadistic or masochistic because I understand that if I just hustle through this, I will get the gains down the road. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 that grit, I, I built that early on. What was that like for you? And what was the sports that you really enjoyed doing? Yeah, so everything you said, that's exactly... Correct. Um, I think the biggest thing I learned from, you know, being a, a student athlete was time management. Every day we would have to practice for, uh, you know, two hours after classes, and mm-hmm. you know, every like my weekends were also kind of packed with tournaments. So I had to really be diligent in managing my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one big, I guess, lesson. Um, I think also leadership, right? So yep. eventually I became like the captain of the different sports. I was. Uh, I played so specifically like it's very big into basketball, uh, volleyball, basketball, mm. and I tried, we had like three seasons, tried different things for my last season. But yeah, the main sports I played were really volleyball and basketball. Nice. Um, yeah, I think leadership was a, a big um, like theme as well, you know, having to, um, I guess, champion and, you know, like motivate your, your teammate, teammates. Um, when the going got tough <laughs> is mm. something I, I think is still true, um, you know, for me today in my current role as one of the leaders of Kaya. Um, so I like similar to you, I, I definitely credit like my sports uh, upbringing or yep. my experience playing sports um, for a lot of like the traits I have now. <laughs> yeah, it never leaves you, right? Like the the thirst for competition and to win. It doesn't matter what the sport is. I I I look at startups as a mm-hmm. as a team sport because de- you definitely cannot win alone. You need to surround yourself with amazing talent. You need to surround yourself with you know people that play their roles well that also mm-hmm. want to just get 
uh, and achieve a common goal, um, regardless of how daunting and how the odds are not in your favor, which is very similar to sports because not everybody's going to win. You're going to take a lot of L's. You're going to take a lot of pain and whatnot. But before that, again, let's talk about the next step because this girl is one of the select few in this country that, that just studied, just studied in Princeton University. Talk about that um how how did you get to princeton and um what was that experience like studying in jersey and being for sure one of the few filipinos in campus yeah so honestly never in my wildest dreams that i think i could ever end up at princeton you know like um my family all went to up i was pretty set on doing upbaa as a senior but i think one day my college come uh, my high school uh, guidance counselor sat me down and was like, you know, why don't you try to apply for scholarships? You never know. Um, so wow. I did. And fortunately, I was able to get a few offers, um, including, uh, you know, a full ride offer at Princeton. So how do you say no to that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So definitely, you know, a, a big blessing and not something I could have like ever dreamed of. But mm. um, <clears throat> it's been a while <laughs> and honestly it all feels like a dream I think right. go- before I entered Princeton I had a lot of anxiety right because yeah you know I'd, I'd never really been to the U.S. before um oh, man. I think you have like an image of an Ivy League university in your mind and I thought I was just going to be so dumb um <laughs> I was like mentally preparing myself for to be like basically below average right but yeah once I got there it actually wasn't so bad um mm. I think Applying and getting in is probably the hardest part. Once you get there, I mean, it's it's hard to fail, right? If you just are diligent about, you know, doing the homework and the assessments. Um, And I mean, not to say that I didn't meet, um, you know, smart people. Like, obviously, there are tons of geniuses, smartest people I've ever met in my life. But for the most part, it was just like a bunch of, you know, college kids who wanted to have a good time wanted to make friends and, you know, wanted to learn something along the way. So, so I, I think I had a very normal college experience, actually. That's amazing. But I want to understand also, so again, you, this is your first time in the U.S. and obviously you're going to be living independently. Were there any side hustles that you had to do to make ends meet? Because again, you know how America just basically tells you that, yo, this is the land of opportunity. There's the American dream. And a lot of the privileges that we do get here, like, you know, little our parents or are having household help or just little chores and all these things um, does not exist in the U S how did you get over those little humps that you also had to get over through or get over with um, while you're still adjusting in the day-to-day grind in Brinson? Yeah. So I did actually have several jobs during my time there. So I was okay. also a working student, um, my very first job was in the dining hall. So I was wow. uh, a server. Yeah, I had to serve food <laughs> to my classmates. I honestly don't recommend it because in terms of like effort for, you know, reward, it was, <laughs> there are many like easier jobs basically, but I did right. that for about a year and a half. Um, oh man. Work uh, in the dining hall for like two hours a day, really just like changing the food, like cleaning up mm. after people ate. I think it was very, a very humbling experience, right? Because yeah. like you said, um, here, that's not really a thing among college students. Um, but somehow, I, even if I didn't necessarily need to work, um, I wanted to just so I had a, a sense of like, um, like agency. And um, I, I couldn't say that like, 
I was making money and like supporting myself through um, through school. So that's my first job. Eventually, I found um, easier jobs to do. Okay. Uh, so I, I tutored for a bit. Um, I also um, worked in the library. Um, basically, I just sat down well and, and checked checked out books for for students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely had a lot of like side hustles. Um, Got it. Funded a lot of my college trips. <laughs> How did you get over the homesick homesickness? Because I'm pretty sure that hits hard somewhere. So, so, so some somewhere down the road, like oh my god, I'm hustling so hard. The grind is. I, I'm pretty sure you you can get you can motivate yourself through the grind because you've mm-hmm. done it before in other settings, especially in sports. Well, one thing about sports mm-hmm. too is that it's shared pain, and you feed off of people, and it's hard to do that yeah. when you're alone. <laughs> Right. Um, how did you get over those uh, those those hurdles eventually? Yeah, honestly, it was, a, it was definitely tough and really bad. Maybe the first two years, I got homesick a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fortunately, I was able to go home maybe twice a year, like for Christmas and summer. Mm-hmm. So I did get to see my family. But when I was there, I think I would just kind of um, like find other Filipinos. So there's actually one other guy in my year. Um, mm. And several other other years, so um, made an effort to like meet up with them from time to time. Um, I think also just like finding ways to connect to the motherland. So actually, all my papers, I think that I could write about the Philippines. I, I did. Mm. Um, I, I used like it as an opportunity to like really learn about um, my country mm. um, and yeah, make myself feel like I wasn't super far away. Um, yeah. <laughs> now at, at that point, okay. So I think this is now the origin of that love and a love for mm-hmm. country. What what triggered that? Because um, for you to carry that chip on your shoulder, and you said you're 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 representing that you're you're, you're carrying the flag. When sometimes it's very hard to love the Philippines with the decisions that they're making in, in back home, right? Yes. But you're out here. And this reminds me a lot of Roland Ross. Like that guy just wears the Philippines on his sleeve, right? And mm-hmm. he just really wants to pay it forward. What's how how did that materialize for you? Was there a influence or a trigger, or this is just straight up nat- nationalism and patriotism from the get go? Yeah, I think uh, one part of it is probably like my mom. So I, I talked about my dad, but my mom is actually or has been a public servant her entire oh. career. So she. She's been working for the Department of Tourism for the last 30 years. Um, oh my God. And so, you know, like having a parent that works for government, it's hard not to um, kind of uh, have that. Um, You're really in, more in, fun in the Philippines yeah. outside of the Philippines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like public service was kind of ingrained in me from a very young Got age. It. Just Got watching it. my mom work for the government. And I don't know, I honestly can't explain it, but I just know that it's hard for me to kind of find meaning in work if it's not somehow tied to um, the country, right? Like some people aren't wired that that way, but for me, it's just a fact of life. So I've come to accept it. Now, how did you get into the startup path per se? Because there's so many other ways or paths that you can have done it. You could have done through public service. You could have been a diplomat. You could have been a lot of other things. But how did this trickle down into your current path now? Was there a pivotal experience or pivotal uh, job that you did? Yeah, you know, funnily enough, I think I come from a very unusual background for someone in tech. Um, So 
I mean, tech has always been kind of an interest of mine. So even in, in college, right, I was in like the social entrepreneurship club. Mm. Um, I interned for a few startups, but it was more of like a, a side ho- hobby um, mm. or like a side interest. But my track was actually like very much development. You know, I studied economics. Mm. I thought I was going to work for the world. By the way, huh? not just a <laughs> cum laude in Princeton. Oh my God. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so... It's a bit random, right? But I guess if I had to kind of um, like explain why I made the switch, right? Like when I was, well, when I made when I made the decision to join Kaya, right? Like um, I, I think it came from like some reflection on what I think to be the biggest, you know, problems or challenges in uh, kind of inhibiting the, the development of the country. Uh, and for me, it boils down to really two main things. Um, one is like the lack of quality infrastructure. And if you see in my profile, like that was actually the first part of my career, right? I worked a lot in the infrastructure industry. Um, and the second is really the lack of like quality jobs. Um, and for me, ultimately, I see like entrepreneurship as a way to you know, start new businesses and create jobs, right? Which can contribute to the development of, um, of the Philippines. And especially here, right? Like a lot of our development has really been driven by the big conglomerates, right? Um, so yeah, I think... It's kind of how I ended up here. Got a bit it. random, but... <laughs> All right, but I'll just uh, ask one last thing before we take our first break. I want to understand, right? So you, you after college, you did three jobs. Milken Institute, you were a consultant in Almec, and you also stayed for a while in Polstrom. Uh, mm-hmm. These jobs, again, this, these are not uh, your typical paths that, that you see, but a lot of it is partnerships, PPPs, joint ventures, projects, in here. I want to understand the skills, the soft skills and the hard skills you developed during these three uh, things, uh, these three stints that you had that, that, that still stay with you till now. Because I'm pretty sure, again, coming out of college, Princeton, another fish out of water experience, but the, the whole world is different. But I'm pretty sure, again, you've done well in the other stints. But what are those things that stick with you till now? Yeah, honestly, if I reflect on my day-to-day life now, it's super different from what I was doing in any of those jobs. But I guess if I were to kind of um, think about some of the skills that are still valuable in my current role, I'd say like Mm. writing is a big thing. And I guess general communication. Um, You'd be surprised at how many people don't know how to write. Um, so that's a big one. <laughs> um, and I guess another is like thinking in frameworks, right? I, I think that's super important um, in the startup space as well. Um, you need to be able to uh, have like clarity of thought and, and be able to like, yeah, think, think in frameworks. Um, but what else? Um, I think if I, another parallel, I guess, between my old life or, past life in infrastructure and now is um you know the big theme is like really finding a way to make like projects in this mm. case like ventures like um bankable or invest uh, attractive to investors Got right? it. Um, so it's actually not dif- that different in that sense um back then my main like focus is really trying to figure out how to make infrastructure projects um feasible um, from an economic perspective um, and now I think my role at Kaya is really to figure out how to make ideas, um, venture backable and scalable. So that's the connection. 
All right. Now let's take our first break. And when we come back, let's talk about how Raya became Kaya. And, and you know, talk about how they, they were able to create all these amazing venture backable and scaling startup. We'll talk about that more after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back to the break. We are still with Raya of Kaya. Again, uh, who, Kaya founders, who obviously told us her amazing journey uh, leading up to the, the startup iteration of, your, of, of her life. But before we start first, um, I will talk about how you got in Kaya and you know the amazing work that you guys do there. I want to understand what you said uh, about thinking in frameworks. I've never heard of this before, but can you expound on, on that a little bit? Um, so I think for me, thinking in frameworks is about being able to think through a problem or solution in a structured way. You know, a lot of sometimes you talk to founders and they're so focused on kind of the micro aspects of the problem they're trying to solve without being able to kind of abstract that to the bigger picture. Um, mm. So I think that's one aspect of thinking in frameworks. Um, and yeah, I think it's also about kind of how you tell a narrative, right? Like Correct. thinking, um, looking at an industry or a problem, you know, um, and having some way to kind of like a, a structure to think it through. Or a framework mm-hmm. to think it through. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it makes a lot of sense because what the, the biggest journey of a founder, especially when you're coming from zero to one, is really coming from a hustler zoom in point of view. Like I'm doing everything, almost everything, building a team, every single dirt that you can think of. That's you as a founder. 
But you, when you think of how you want to scale, you have you want to have a big picture zoom out point of view that eventually, yeah. you know, you're going to make yourself expendable on those little things that you're doing now. You're just starting it out. And that's where also I see a lot of founders struggle, myself included, because I had to go from, OK, hustler, 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 everything I'm doing. And then you struggle delegating with the little things and whatnot into becoming a good operator who sees the big picture that who sees the North star five steps ahead, you know, what you need to be. And if you don't have a framework thinking per se, you're going to struggle through that journey because you're going to be the own blocker of your company because you don't want to let go of the little things as well. And I see this a lot in the Philippines and hopefully we can help because again, there's now a lot of founders who went through that same journey. When I was starting out here in the Philippines, there's only like, I know, five, five people that you can ask and they never really got a, a tech startup to scale. Now there's a lot like uh, that, that, that's been there. The Paolo Campos of the world the, the, who's, who's been successful uh, as well. Now, since we're talking about Paolo, how did Raya get to Kaya? How did this happen and what made you join Kaya Founders? Yeah, honestly, it was a bit of an accident. Like if the pandemic didn't happen, I don't know if I would be here talking to you right now. Okay. Um, so thank you, pandemic. Thank you. Just kidding. I wouldn't kidding. go that far, but <laughs> there's a silver lining to everything. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I know Paolo through the Princeton Network. So he also went to uh, Princeton for undergrad, but he's a few years older. Um, and you didn't have to mention that back, he will take that personally. <laughs> Just kidding. I, <laughs> I can't. I can't notice it. Eh? Paolo it looks like a, you know, just like fresh grad. Just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, but basically, when I, I moved back to Manila in 2019, I reconnected with him. So I, I start. I was already doing so Galvin, and um, I invited him to kind of be a, one one of the judges for a pitch competition we organized. Um, so that's how we reconnected. And after that, he invited uh, me and my co-lead for Sobalvin, um, a girl named Vera, to coffee. And she, he told us about uh, his vision to actually start Kaya. Um, and that's how it all began. I still remember it was in Luna Coffee in BGC wow. <laughs> um, in early 2020. Um, back then, you know, it was just like you know, a pipe dream, a vision that he had. Um, after spending 10 years at Zalora, he was looking for the next thing he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that was literally like two weeks before the pandemic, where like the world shut down. Oh wow! Um, and then when we were all um, just in our houses, I guess that's when you really like you know uh, workshop uh, the idea for Kaya. Um, mm-hmm. Spent the entire twenty twenty like um, really like building the initial pitch deck, um, mm-hmm. thinking about how we were going to do it. So it was really like a pandemic passion project i would say absolutely but what was the pitch like but of course paolo is is a visionary he's, he's been there before scaled up again made the journey from founder from zero to one million it's not even just 100 zero he, he's been he's through it all um but i want to understand because i'm pretty sure you, you you've been volunteering volunteering with sogal already in manila chapter lead mm-hmm. there was something in that pitch or that vision that makes you like, shit, this is something that I want to do with Pao. Um, and how did you see yourself contributing to that vision? Yeah, honestly, um, so I think the motivation for starting Kaya was really the observation that probably the biggest um, 
hurdle or inhibitor in the Philippine tech scene is the lack of, um, you know, venture backable um, like startups. Mm. So you know, at the time there were like more investors coming in already. Um, mm. So liquidity wasn't actually a big problem. It was really the lack of kind of scalable investment ready startups. Um, and uh, so I think I was very sold on that vision. That's something I also observed um, through my yeah. work at SoGal. Um, and I don't know, like I honestly, when he asked me to help him, I didn't really think it would become my day job. I was just mm. looking for something to do on the side. I still had, I was still working um, at the infrastructure consulting firm and was just really doing this, you know, a few hours a week. But mm. somehow the more we worked on it, um, I found myself like, just being more interested in, um, you know, the this side of things and spending more and more of my time um, thinking about and working on on Kaya, what would eventually become Kaya. So yeah. when he called me up, um, you know, like in end of 2021, mm-hmm. saying that, hey, we got some funding, this is it. Nice. Um, I guess I just, it was easy for me to make that decision to to jump. All right. But let me just uh, uh, go deeper here a little bit. You said that the biggest problem was there is a, a big um, void of venture backable startups. Because if you look at the whole ecosystem, there's a lot of founders, there's a lot of startups, but a lot of them, I agree, are not ready for VC money. Can you just itemize a little bit what makes a venture backable startup? Because again, there's a lot of founders, but how come they are not venture backable? What what's the what are the components? of a venture-backable startup, especially in the context of the Philippines? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest thing is really, I guess, the, the problem that a startup is trying to solve. A, a lot of the startups I've seen in the Philippines try to focus on a very specific, you know, Philippine-specific problem um, that doesn't really have kind of the time or the, you know, market size mm. um, to be scalable, um, uh, to be able to kind of return the investment that uh, a lot of like the funders in the region want to see. Correct. So I, I would say um, kind of the, I, I guess the vision for the startup sometimes um, tends to be very um, too, too small scale for um, to be interesting to investors. Yeah, that's, I would say that's actually the biggest thing, finding the right opportunity to address Correct. And I agree. And if you just look at, again, the core fundamentals. So I, I recently graduated. Okay, I graduate too sometimes. Um, uh, from this program called Insignia Ventures Academy, where mm-hmm. uh, their founder and their president, Inglan Tan, invited me over to become an EIR. So I learned how to think like a VC. Uh, that's very transformational in, in my journey because now I understand what makes a startup venture backable. Because being a venture backable startup, it's not, you have to think, guys, that VCs are also a business. It's it's a it's a game of return of investment. It's very high risk by default, and a lot of start, uh, money that they're gonna deploy are not theirs, and they owe a massive return, probably at least a hundred x to the the LPs. These are the investors that invest in their fund. Now, if you're a startup per se, if you there's three things at, at the core, but there's more, right? that they initially look at, team time traction. Team is, do you have the right team to win in this problem or in this market that you're trying to do? In the Philippines, I would see, I can see that there are some, but some teams are just not balanced. Too inexperienced or too much redundancy. 
right? Second, I also see a lot of uh, startups that um, don't understand the time. And you're correct. The, the ambition isn't there. And for and time is something that can easily make or break your startup's ability to raise BC money. Because here's the reason why. And I, I experienced this in Podcast Network Asia. If you're going through a startup or through a market that is very small and there's not, according to how you depict it, if it's too small and there's only one room for, a, uh, for one winner, it's hard to bet on that. And what is small? That, that, that industry or that vertical should be at least 10D worth. Because that means there's enough room for everyone to, 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 to win. So even if you're not the winner, you're, say, close second. If you scale, you'd still be a unicorn. And why is, does it have to be a unicorn? Again, we're, as VCs, people look at it from, okay, if I invest in this company, will I get a massive return because it's high risk? And of course, the most important determinant, if you are really the team to win it, it's traction. Have you done anything? Have you made money here? Is it? Growing at a five to seven percent week on week growth. Why is it so aggressive? Because the VC funding will just be your ticket to grow more. If you cannot even get traction from day one at that rate, it's going to be hard for VCs to to invest. You can have, be a good cash flow business. You can get profitable, but VCs won't touch you. If your trajectory isn't at that level, did I even make sense, uh, Raya, and what I just said? <laughs> no, that is, that's exactly right. Actually, uh, I, I think you summarized kind of the main ingredients of any venture backable startup really well. But I think on the last point, so you talked about traction. Um, I'll mention that at Kaya, you know, we are an early stage investor, so we mm-hmm. typically invest in pre-seed and seed stage companies. But mm-hmm. I think what makes us unique is sometimes we'll invest in a founder even before they have traction when all they really have is an idea and potential. So as much as, you know, traction is important for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I I think for us, um, probably the two uh, factors that you mentioned first are more important, right? So, you know, are are you trying to solve a big enough opportunity? Um, And do you have the potential to actually execute on the vision, right? Um, Traction will follow. Um, but we need to lock down the first two ingredients. Absolutely. And the, the team is the, the one thing that will help you get there. And I want to now understand what type of founders you guys uh, like to invest in, because I've seen this in the founders that you've invested in before. Uh, you know, they've, they've pretty much, the, the, the problems they're trying to solve, they've been exposed to and worked at it at, at a certain level. Uh, so again, the Cravers Canteens of the world, Armada, and all these things, eTaily, Locad, and a, a lot more. These are not rookies. They, they, mm-hmm. They've been in a startup before. They've scaled a start, startup before, or they've helped scale a startup before. So they are, they're not really coming from zero to one. They have a cheat code, mm-hmm. right? But w- what are the, 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 the type of founders you like to invest in, especially if the main consideration is team and them. So it's hard to kind of distill, um, you know, a set of certain truths each founder has to have because, you know, we've invested in many different, many types of founders. But I guess some of the, uh, I guess, necessary uh, traits that we look for are one, like previous builder experience. And it doesn't necessarily have to 
be as another startup, right? Some of our founders are first-time founders, but I, I think you need to have demonstrated that you are able to, you know, build and scale um, either a product, a team, or a venture. Yep. Um, second, I think, is uh, like subject expertise. So a lot of the founders we've invested in, um, you know, spent many years in a particular sector before they went on to build um, their own startup in that space. Um, but at the same time, I think it's important to be a generalist, right? Like you can't be, um, you know, just a one trick pony as a founder. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You can't be a one trick pony as a founder. You have to be able to wear many hats. So that's definitely an important trait as well. Um, and then the last thing is probably like culture fit, right? Whether um, we feel like uh, you're a good fit for um, the Kaya ecosystem, right? Whether you're, um, you know, you have both ambition and the humility um, to succeed. So if I had to kind of distill it into three traits, um, that's what I would say. Um, I guess another um, way we kind of look at our founders is um, through like typical founder profiles uh, and we've identified four. So one um, is what we call a sea turtle. So these are kind of Filipinos who were educated or who worked abroad and who are looking to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so an example of this is Tommy Campos, who is one of our co-founders for Dart, uh, which is a cute commerce, a quick commerce uh, venture that we launched recently. Yep. Um, another one is um, our, our like corporate executives, right? So you know, experienced business leaders who are looking to make the switch and to break into tech. Uh, mm-hmm. So an example here would um, be Tina Sabare, who is the head of MediClick, our e-pharmacy. Yep. Um, third. Uh, our second gen uh, tech talent, and this actually applies to many of our founders. A lot of them actually uh, come from the Zalora Mafia, as they call it. So, there you, go. Um, you know, Jess of Kindred, um, Victor of Cravers, um, and Paolo himself. Right? They, they were all uh, they all worked for one of these um, big um, like tech startups that really right. paved the way for many other uh, startups in, in in the region. Um, and the last are adopted Filipino. So. Um, if, you'll, if you'll notice, we'll ha- we have a bunch of Germans in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not by design. <laughs> um, it just so happens that, you know, like one of our advisors, Constantine, um, also worked for Zalora and came from Rocket Internet, had that mm-hmm. network. Um, but somehow we find that the, I guess, the expats who are willing to uh, uproot their lives and move here are kind of the ones who, have, who are willing to give it their all um, with nope. really the grit to make it work. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the four uh, typical profiles that we we see among our portfolio. Got it. So if you're you're one of those four, uh, again, you say you you grew up here. You've been in a different startup. Say again, Kumu or a or a Grab or a Lazada, Zalora. You're obviously go you 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 qualify as as one of those those founders. But walk me through the process of being selected or being invested on by Kaya. Does it have, because you, you said sometimes you invest mm-hmm. at the idea phase. Um, and I think you also, you guys also do venture building, right? At, at one point, but w- how does one become part of the Kaya mafia? Yeah. So I'd say there are two kind of pathways or tracks. So I guess on the one hand, we have like a more traditional PC setup, uh, we invest in, you know, pre-seed, as I mentioned, pre-seed or seed stage companies. So, um, yeah, like, I guess on the more traditional fund side, we invest in existing companies that have 
you know, a team and, and, and traction to show for. Mm-hmm. So just to cite some examples, um, our very first investment was actually Peddler. So we were one of there the earliest adopters of, of Peddler. Shout out, Nell <laughs> um, Igo. Yeah, mm-hmm. shout out Nell and Aiko as well. Shout out mm-hmm. to the female co-founder. Yep. Um, I think now we have about 12 um, investments on the fund side. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, we also have um, kind of a studio set up. Um, but I would caveat that we're not really a you know traditional like venture builder. Um, we, we don't really, we're quite kind of allergic to that term because it, I think it gets a bad rap in investment circles. <laughs> um, we're very, very founder friendly. There you um, go. Founders always get the majority um, of any venture they build, right? But I guess on, on this side of our work, um, we you, the way it works is um, either you come to us with an idea and um, you know we will give you a term sheet and basically um, you know propose to partner as an institutional co-founder um, and or if you don't have an idea but you kind of know you want to start something um, you can we, we actually have kind of a menu or a pipeline of ideas we've also been kind of looking at internally that we can match you with um, and I'll mention that recently we just launched our Entrepreneur in Residence or EIR yes. program um, and <laughs> to make it more I guess um, actionable so if any of you identifies um, as this like aspiring entrepreneur kind of with an itch to start your own tech venture but don't really know how to start or don't have um, quite an idea to pursue then you can apply for it, our EIR program. There you go. That's an EIR. Let's just just uh, talk that about that a little bit. Does mm-hmm. that mean that they should have a team, or is this like a highly skilled individual that fall into those four um, stereotypes that you already have? Yeah, it's more of the latter. So, as an EIR, um, typically we get individual applications. Although, if you come as a pair, if you already have an existing mm-hmm. um, like team or co-founder, then we'll also consider that. But Typically, we see um, you know individual like you know aspiring entrepreneurs apply, mm. um, and a lot of times like yeah they they actually don't have their own idea yet. They just know that they want to build something of their own, um, mm. ready to take the plunge into the startup scene, and um, we will match them with an idea that we've been um, kind of incubating or working on ourselves. That's amazing. All right. So again, this is perfect for those people who are just at the cusp or at the precipice of like, eh, can I do startup life now? Uh, to, to now jump into being the founder, right? Because again, a lot of people here, especially with the, the internet and digital economy that the the OG startups have done, right? That I've also scaled, have developed so many people um, that are actually ready, but they're probably just scared. Like, hey, is it time? I, I, I don't want to... I'm scared. I don't want to lose everything that I just put up. This is the, that soft landing that can actually uh, boost you through. And the beauty of it is that you're working with founders themselves in Kaya. These are people that have done that zero to one journey. And that's what I wanted to ask you next, because it's, mm-hmm. I know this is not just about funding, right? You're going to walk them through and hustle with them. So I have a little bit, bit of a, uh, an anecdote here. So the last, the first time I went to the Kaya founder's office, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I bumped into my college classmate, Ron Halig, who, who works with eDaily, one of the startups that, uh, who, who does e-commerce uh, enablement for, for a lot of the companies here. 
And she mentioned to me one thing about this certain Raya girl that helped them out, you know, um, because they said when she, I think she was employee number three or four or whatnot. And then she said that without this Raya girl that was talking about the, their, their financials would be in shambles. It's going to be a messy ass <laughs> PNL, right? And that's what I wanted to ask. What are the other things that you guys do in order to help hustle on the, the startup side? Because again, money is money, fine. But the value add and the extra punch that you guys give is what really matters because you've been, you've been surrounded by operators uh, who've been there and done that. What are those like? Yeah, that's right. So we like to call ourselves an institutional co-founder. So what that means is that, you know, when we, um, you know, propose to partner with you, um, we're not going to leave you in the dark, right? We'll really be there um, mm-hmm. to help bring your idea to life. Um, concretely, what that means is, uh, you know, we'll help you on topics that um, you need support on, right? So, for example, if you're more of a business founder, um, we'll help. Well, I guess we'll kind of fill in the blanks on things like tech development, right? So we actually have our own in-house tech team. We have a CTO and uh, our own dev team who can help you build your MVP. Um, I think we're also helpful on uh, fundraising. So a lot of first-time founders don't really know how to navigate uh, the fundraising landscape. But fortunately, we have our partners who are very, very well-versed in this. So definitely facilitate a lot of connections to investors um, and really guide um, our founders through things like valuations. Um, recruitment is also, um, I think, a big value add that we provide. Yes. So um, many of our founders actually, our founding teams, we, we paired up. Um, wow. So, yeah, We're the so Tinder think, of startups. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're basically a matchmaking platform. Um, mm-hmm. So recruitment, um, partnerships as well. Um, so fortunately, right, we have uh, Liza Gokmui Cheng um, as part of our uh, our board. And so uh, while we're independent from, you know, the JG group, we do have access um, to the conglomerate. Uh, so any doors we can open, uh, we'll try to do that. Uh, and then the last thing, I think the most valuable thing is really the coaching and the mentorship, right? Yes. Um, and this really comes from um, our founders who, as you mentioned, um, have already been there and done it um, so Paolo obviously built, uh, was one of the pioneers at Zalora, really built it from the ground up. Um, he's gone through the journey. Um, nope. So any advice he gives comes from <laughs> real life lessons, from right? From real pain um, that he's experienced yes. before, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Liza as well, right? So she um, is very low-key, but she's one of the most successful angel investors um, in the Philippines. Um, I know so... because I work with her. So there you go. And she, she's an investor in PNA. And man, every single time you get an opportunity to talk to these types of people, you just, you would just walk away with so much like, holy shit, why didn't I think of that and that's just a glimpse and imagine you having access to all these operators you actually get a playbook of what potholes to avoid because they've done that before and that is amazing all right now let's take our last break and when we come back let's now pay it forward and talk about how uh kaya has grown and the advice you have for other startups let's talk about that more after the break 
Hey Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with GCash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag Uno Ready Savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag Uno Earn or hashtag Uno Boost Time Deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag Uno Earn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. 
Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back in the break. We are still with Raya of Kaya. There you go. I love it. Uh, I, I will for sure butcher that. Uh, I'll be a. Uh, and oh I think gosh. people call it Raya Founders. <laughs> so Miss Liza told me about it. Paolo told me you know, about it. <laughs> you know, a fun fact, I actually came up with a name because when we were brainstorming, oh. I think, I'm pretty sure it was my idea. And now I regret it so much because <laughs> I didn't realize that it was my name at the time. Anyway. Why Kaya? Why'd you, why'd you call it Kaya, by the way? Because we can? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously that's, the, there's the Filipino meaning, right? And yeah. uh, more shallow uh, meaning, I guess, like Kaya Toast uh, in the regional aspect <laughs> of her work. <laughs> you laugh, but wow. it's actually true. <laughs> but yeah, I, now I now I want to go to Singapore and get a legit Kaya, kaya Toast. Kaya Toast, yeah. Thank you for making me hungry. But you, you've talked about the team and how you guys all originated. We haven't talked about how you also have grown as your own startup VC. Because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of bumps and bruises you had to take. Because again, um Though you've experienced this before and you're your operators, uh, the VC game is totally different, right? Um, walk us through how you've also transformed over time when it was just you and Pao and Miss Liza or whoever. Um, how did that mature or evolve through this past couple of years? Yeah, you know, so we were formally set up in September of 2021. And at the time, it was really just me and Paolo talking every day. Um, mm-hmm. I was a team of one <laughs> until Paolo was able to make the transition from Zalora. Yeah. Um, fortunately, now I think we have a full-time staff of about 11 folks. So wow. really grown a lot over the past few months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to name a few of my colleagues, uh, Toby Floro from Wavemakers. Shout uh, out. Partners. Yeah, shout Toby. out to Toby. Um, mm-hmm. He's um, now our, our fund manager, so he's overseeing all our investments. Um, mm-hmm. Took a while to find him, but we're very, very fortunate to be able to secure him as part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have um, a CTO, Mark Yao, who actually went to Harvard. So <laughs> a competitor. I leaguers right here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but probably one of the smartest people I know and done a great job of really growing the tech team. Um yeah, yes, about five devs under him. Um, wow. We have a guy named Rambo, who's our venture development director. Um, he was formerly with Rocket Internet, Food Panda, and OLX. Uh, and he's really the guy in charge of really taking our founders through the venture development process mm-hmm. um, and a few others. But we like to call ourselves Avengers, right? Like, there you we're go. Less than 20 folks, probably going to stay that way. But um, yeah, I think that's the beauty of it. Like, <laughs> We're always just hustling and doing too many things all at once. <laughs> right. Now, I, I want to understand. So there's now this Toby seat there again. Shout out Toby, former Wavemaker, former ADB Ventures, right? But um, if you just look at the route of startups pitching you guys, um, again, <laughs> I think I've, we've dabbled into this, but let's go do a deep dive. What do you guys look for? Is there a certain vertical that you guys prefer? Are you guys agnostic? And again, you said that there's a certain stage that you guys should like uh, come in, but 
what's the profile of a startup that would be a good fit for Kaya founders at the moment? Yeah, so I'll start with the stage. So as I mentioned, um, we invest in pre-seed and seed stage companies. So very, very early um, stage companies. Typically, we write, you know, the first, if not one of the first, yeah, one of the first, if not the first checks. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, in terms of valuation, like probably nothing north of $10 million. Um, in terms of sector, uh, we'll honestly take a look at anything that's somehow relevant to the Philippines or Southeast Asia with a tech mm-hmm. lens, uh, with a tech angle. So, um, you know, we've invested um, in well, a lot in e-commerce, just given our, our background, but also in fintech. Um, uh, now we're looking at like agri-tech, um, education. Um, so anything that's somehow uh, relevant to the Philippines with an impact angle um, and also like a tech angle we'll take a look at. Got it. Amazing. Now, especially in this bear market, let's just call that what it is, right? It's it's yes. it's 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 terrible out there. Is there a certain type of criteria that you guys lo- like to look at? So again, this is high risk, high reward, er, seed and pre-seed. Just that's that's the riskiest of of I mean of of all times. Again, most startups fail at that point, zero to one, right? But is there a certain traction point still that the, that you kind of look for, especially that in this really terrible market that we're in, where venture funding is you know, uh, slashed into into pieces. What, is there an extra caveat that you guys look at? Yeah, so I think on you know on the fun side, um, we like to see companies with like a proof of concept. I mean, some will be you know pre revenue, and that's okay. But mm. just a sign um, of like early adopters and early believers. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big one. I think. In this market, um, and probably all VCs will agree, like there's probably, um, I guess, a preference towards profitability and sustainability as opposed to like growth, growing at all costs. Yes. So, um, you know, I mean, it's hard, right? Because most startups aren't profitable yet, but somehow um, we need to feel like they can survive and weather the next um, three or five years yep. um, with enough like runway, um, enough momentum. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of what we look for, but honestly, we're, you know, despite the downturn in the market, um, we're still very optimistic. We feel like actually it's the best time to build, um, during the down years, right? Right. Um, it's probably the best time to, uh, secure the good deals because, you know, last year was a big year for us, but I think a lot of the valuations were also a bit on the high side. So, (laughs) That was um, bull on bull and- on bull, right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nah, it was really it was it was a really good time. But again, just just see just what one year can do, and you'll see the complete opposite of what was that like uh, as well. But I want to now ask you, since again, you this has been in your heart, servicing the 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 Philippines per se. This it's it's you wear it on your sleeve. I feel it. I, I I share the same vision. I want to pay it forward. But if we're just zero in on Filipino startup founders or startup founders that are here in the Philippines, doesn't have to be Filipino, what would be your advice? Because yes, there's now that availability of funding. There's, there's some liquidity. 
But a lot of startups and startup founders are still not quite there yet, right? Um, what would be your advice to help them get there? Because I feel like we're just a few steps away from really making that big wave of all of a sudden having the more more Nell Ligos of the world and whatnot, right? That that are just like local, like me. I, I'm not a turtle. I'm not a. I'm neither of the four. I've been a founder all my life, but I had to go through my three startups to um, to get to where I am uh, right now. And I think there is one more criteria that we need to uplift. It's the fifth. It's the homegrown yes. startup entrepreneurs, right? Um, what would be your advice for them? Hmm. Um, I guess I'll say three things. One is to really, I guess, seek, like, seek out mentorship and people who can help you. Uh, so if you're a female founder, I would invite you to join us at SoGal, right? We have a, a lovely network of female founders um, who've really been helping each other navigate the startup space. Um, everything from fundraising to hiring. Um, yeah, like you're not alone. There's so many others out there who are going through the same thing. So I would say seek out like, um, you know, community, uh, people who can help you and support you and mentor you. Um, second thing I'd say is like, keep the faith. Um, it's definitely not easy to start your own business, but, um, you know, that's, that's part of it. That's part of the journey. And so it's important to have grit and just really persist even when the going gets tough. And I think the last thing I want to put out there is to, I guess, be authentic, right? Um, if you're a Filipino founder wanting to solve Filipino problems, Make sure that um, the solution you come up with is really rooted in um, the, the problems here, right? I think there's a tendency to want to copy and paste models from abroad um, yeah. and just assume that everything it's, it's going to work here. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if you if you take that approach, then um, it's more likely than not you're probably going to fail, or um, mm-hmm. chances of success are going to be slimmer. So I think um, make sure to be uh, grounded, right? Um, I guess we always like to say, Kaya, that you, you should always put the customer first. So, um, yeah, be be authentic, uh, be grounded in the problem that you're trying to solve. All right, that's amazing. Thank you very much, Raya. Amazing uh, stuff. But again, if people want to reach out and pitch, or again, join the EIR EIR program, or you just you know, get 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 a hold of you and ask for a mentorship. Where do they go, and how do they do that? Yeah, so you can check out our website. So it's kayafounders.com. We also have a LinkedIn. Um, so just look look for us. And uh, our email is hello at kayafounders.com. Um, yeah, we're always on the lookout for more startups to invest in, uh, people to bring on board. So please feel free to reach out. That is amazing. But before I let you go, uh, Raya, follow us in whatever podcast app that you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app that you listen to. If you see a star rating, give us a five star because we like stars too. But again, to also help us create better content. But if you did see some jargon, it's going to be the show notes in hustleshare.com. And if you also want to be part of the community, it's going to be the Hustle Share community on Facebook. Again, Raya, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Ron. It's been a pleasure. All right. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.